Welcome to the Healthy Bronx Pod. My name is Alexander Levine, and before we get started today, I want to introduce a little bit what this is about and what my motivations are for starting this. First, I'm a medical student in the Bronx at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, where I also went to uh, college for undergrad at Fordham University. And I'm interested in public health, community work, and in municipal politics as it relates to the borough. My aim here is to interview policymakers at all levels whose decisions impact the health and wellness of the borough and use this podcast as a vehicle to learn about the numerous healthcare, social, and grassroots organizations working on health and advocacy in the Bronx. Additionally, I hope this uh, these episodes shed some light on cool things going on throughout the borough that intersect in some capacity with health, loosely defined. Today, our interview is with Fernando Torado, who has an important leadership role with the Bronx Borough Office of the New York City Department of Health. He's worked in the Bronx for a very long time in a variety of capacities related to community health. And I'd say part of the goal of having him as the first episode is that it should give a really good framework about general currents in the uh, public health space in the borough, and also specifically the Not 62 campaign, which is a hallmark policy of the Department of Health in the Bronx over the last several years. I'll let Fernando introduce himself shortly, but I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you do, uh, follow, subscribe. We are available on iTunes, Spotify, and I believe a number of other platforms. So let's do this. Can you introduce yourself and uh, sort of explain what your role is as the director of new initiatives at the Borough of Bronx Neighborhood Health Center for Health Equity and Community Wellness, um, which is all falls under the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Can you explain what that role is um, and what your office does? Sure. So uh, again, my name is Fernando Toronto. I'm the director of new initiatives for the Bureau of Bronx Neighborhood Health. I've been there for the last uh, five years, five plus years. Uh, we, I am also the facilitator for a campaign called uh, Hashtag Not 62, the Campaign for a Healthy Bronx. And my work primarily over the last five years has been centered around uh, facilitation of that campaign and various sub-campaigns uh, to, uh, to uh, promote a, uh, a borough-wide health plan to improve health outcomes throughout uh, for all Bronx sites. Okay. And so before we talk more about Not 62, um, can you explain like just how the the Bronx Neighborhood Health Center opened? Because I believe it was like showed a new focus on community health in the Bronx. Um, and why, if there's any reason why you chose the location sort of uh, uh, in Tremont, a little south of like the Arthur Avenue neighborhood, um, just a bit more about your office generally. Sure. So uh, actually, I was involved with the opening of the uh, Bronx District Public Health Office back in 2002, uh, 2003. Uh, we went through several rebrandings, one in 2015 and one uh, towards uh, the middle of 2019, uh, which we're now the Bureau of Bronx Neighborhood Health. But we are the same organization with the same focus on improving health outcomes um, in the borough of the Bronx, uh, again, at 1826 Arthur Avenues, just south of uh, Tremont Avenue. Okay. Uh, we, we have been a fixture of, uh, of that community. Uh, when we started, uh, we were primarily interested in improving health outcomes through 
uh, community districts one through six, which makes up uh, the vast majority of the South Bronx. Uh, but with um, my role in 2015 coming on board as the facilitator for um, the Not 62 campaign, uh, that has uh, expanded to include borough-wide health outcomes. So not just limited to, uh, to half of the community districts. Okay. And so for people who aren't clear, is the Bronx Borough Office of Public Health in your office separate? Um, or are they, or is it one office or are you like an outfit, like a, a part of that office? I, I am part of the Bureau of Bronx Neighborhood Health. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is the official name of the office. Um, there are uh, other components like community engagement, the health action centers, uh, management, uh, the, uh, uh, the Bronx Health Governance Council, um, the Family Wellness Suite. All of that is all part of the Bureau of Bronx Neighborhood Health. Okay. And so the, but the New York City Department of, of Health, their main office is, is your office, correct? Is that correct? Yes, in the in the borough of the Bronx. In, yes. in the borough of the Bronx, right? Okay, got it. Um, and so, when you said you you guys rebranded, what was the reason for um, taking on this new name? And sort of, what was the purpose for for rebranding? Um, uh, so, yeah, that was that was more internal purposes. Uh, you know, there was a consolidation within uh, the division of uh, of uh, the Center for Health Equity, uh, and so uh, the the names changed. The work hasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've always been involved with neighborhood health planning and with uh, trying to improve health outcomes, as we mentioned, uh, and looking looking on those with different focus, um, you know, a- a- adding, uh, for instance, work around community health resiliency, uh, mental health, um, you know, uh, expanding our work around food uh, and, and uh, nutrition. So, Okay. And you, you mentioned that you're fo- originally you guys were focused on community districts one through six, and now you've become a bit broader. Um, can you explain like why those, why those particular districts as opposed to um, other community districts that fall into the Bronx borough? So we, I, for our office, I want to say that um, there are, the way that we've always uh, imagined it, concentric circles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are a neighborhoods like the immediate neighborhoods around uh, the action center, uh, around the, the, the office, um, community districts three and six have a lot of staff dedicated to, to improving the outcomes in those com- two community districts because those two community districts have very high uh, health inequities mm-hmm. uh, and disparities uh, between even other parts of the South Bronx. And just for, uh, just for people who aren't as familiar, like what are some of the neighborhoods that people might know by names that fall into those community districts? Uh, so Crotona, Crotona Park, Fairmont, uh, Morrisania, uh, uh, Tremont, the Tremont neighborhood. Southern Boulevard from, uh, I would say, about 183rd, 180th all the way down to uh, 167th. So, uh, and then uh, you could look at it between Southern Boulevard and, um, and Webster Avenue up mm-hmm. to, from 180th to about 167th. Okay. Okay. So then now... Um... And then there's, there's the community engagement team. That, that focuses, so we created this uh, hyper-local focus on community districts three and six mm-hmm. with the rebranding. Um, historically, the community engagement team has, uh, has, uh, ha- has always taken care of health issues between community districts one through six. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
which is about 625,000 people as of uh, the last census. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with the Not 62 campaign, it's a lot broader. We work with more community partners as opposed to community residents to try to address health, uh, uh, health issues in the borough. And that is for the entire 1.5 million people in the borough. Mm-hmm. And so then what, for Not 62, what are the, for someone who's not familiar, how would you, how would you explain like the goals of the campaign um, and also just a little bit about its history, when it started, why it started? Sure. So uh, Not 62 is actually a coalition. Um, there are some uh, top partners that, that helped to form this coalition, including uh, the borough president's office uh, under uh, uh, borough president Ruben Diaz Jr., uh, Montefiore Hospital, um, Bronx Health Reach. Uh, and then later on, we partnered with uh, some other folks to, uh, uh, to, to have them on board, uh, such as uh, WellCare Health Insurance. Okay. But, and then you guys work with, but then you also work with community organizations, correct? Yes. So, uh, so that small partnership uh, is sort of our steering committee. It's more of a communications um, uh, uh, committee that helps to uh, communicate and refine messages about what Not62 is about uh, and share those messages with all of our community partners. And then there's several committees uh, or subgroups uh, that are underneath it, some of them, which I am also the facilitator for. So one of them is the uh, Bronx Emotional Wellness Project. Then we have the Initiative for Healthy Eating and Active Living. Uh, we, uh, we also have the Health and Economic Equity uh, Project. Uh, there is the Community Health Resiliency and Recovery Initiative. Uh, and then there is uh, other smaller um, ad hoc projects that come out, that have come out of the Not 62, such as the Jerome Avenue Public Health Task Force, mm-hmm. which uh, developed as a result of the, uh, the rezoning on Jerome Avenue in community districts four and five in the West Bronx. Okay. So, I mean, we'd like to learn, I guess, all about each individual of those projects, but we don't have time for everything. So what... Um, of the, or, or as you like in these areas of mental health um, related to food security um, and other, other, area, other issues related to uh, community health, how do you guys, um, Not 62 has existed since, is it 2016? Uh, 2015. 2015. So in the five years since, how do you assess progress of these programs? Um, obviously, there's been a lot of like energy into creating them, but how do you assess whether these are, um, you know, improving the health of the Bronx, making them actually contributing to the Bronx, not becoming, becoming a healthier county within the state of New York. Sure. So one of the things that we want to sort of um, dismiss about uh, the Not 62 campaign is that even though we're still last in New York State, that doesn't mean that health outcomes have not improved. Mm -hmm. Right. We've seen uh, changes in in, uh, in diet uh, and in eating habits, we have seen changes in uh, employment levels and in business development. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the reason why we are still at the bottom of that county health rankings list is because uh, in many ways, the state has gotten better. And if everybody gets better, somebody still ends up last. So mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, that, that, that means that the borough of the Bronx is still ranks last on that ranking. But it doesn't mean that there hasn't been any changes or improvements in, in many areas. That being said, there are some things that are important to point out, right? Uh, the opioid crisis uh, uh, continues to uh, expand in the Bronx, and as a result, that um, 
uh, as a result, you know, that has led to uh, loss of life and, and other uh, mental health stresses, um, depression and anxiety and suicide risk uh, continues to, to grow, uh, to get higher. And so there are other things that we need to focus on. Um, and while uh, there have been some improvements on chronic disease, uh, we can see clearly that um, as a result of COVID-19, that uh, the, the most vulnerable uh, were uh, the uh, people who were uh, had less disposable income and didn't have uh, for, uh, money for health insurance, uh, who were older and who had chronic uh, conditions such as hypertension, high blood pressure, uh, uh, heart disease, diabetes. And so, uh, you know, through my emergency management work on the Community Health Resiliency Initiative, um, we have said uh, previously that chronic diseases are a slow-moving disaster. Mm -hmm. uh, and it takes uh, something like COVID-19 to expose how much of a problem it was uh, the, uh, to have such high levels of chronic diseases concentrated in, in our borough. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, COVID-19 highlights the need to continue to do things like promote uh, uh, better health, uh, better nutrition, fitness, uh, better mental health. Um, so and so a lot of our work has shifted uh, from just not looking at only how to improve uh, physical behavior, but also to how to how to make communities more resilient. And how does the how did the pandemic reframe the way you guys think about um, trying to work with chronic disease? Um, so yeah. to be honest, right now, uh, you know, the Department of Health is working diligently on trying to uh, contain and suppress um, COVID nineteen. Mm -hmm. A lot of the work that would have gone to uh, promoting. Um, uh, chronic disease information has been scaled back so that we can focus and deal with um, the, the hardest hit areas now. But it, it doesn't change our message, right? Um, a, a better diet and exercise not only is good for your physical health, it's good for your mental health, but it also makes you uh, resilient in times of, of emergencies, whether it's a natural disaster like the heat wave uh, that we've had several of this past summer or if it's a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic. But are there particular programs in the past that focused on uh, chronic health issues that you think moving forward, um, perhaps like as maybe these like, programs that were successful that you think moving forward you need to push more because uh, because as the pandemic exposed how underlying health conditions um, only exacerbate uh, or were, were exacerbated by by COVID nineteen. So chronic diseases don't exist in a vacuum. They don't exist in, in, in a silo. Um, you know, people have chronic diseases, let's say diabetes, because there's a lack of food choices uh, and, and there are huge constraints by things like economics and whether or not I am going to pay rent this month or I'm going to buy something healthier this month. So one successful program that we developed in 2003 that expanded um, uh, mightily was uh, the city's health bucks program. Um, the Health Bucks program started with an investment of about $3,000 uh, back in 2003. That grew until about, I would say, uh, just a few years ago uh, to about half a million dollars a year. Uh, we have had elected officials in the borough of the Bronx, like Councilman Salamanca uh, and uh, Council Member uh, Vanessa Gibson, who have uh, contributed and bought Health Bucks directly uh, so that they could give it to their constituents so that they could shop at farmer's markets get healthier produce, learn how to cook that produce uh, and, and, and have access to fresher fruits and vegetables. 
Um, and and sorry, uh, just to, it, just to be clear, health bucks are used are um, like subsidies that can be used at farmers markets for yeah. healthy food for fresh vegetables, right? Yes. So think of it as a two dollar coupon, right? And mm-hmm. you might get this two dollar coupon uh, if you are using SNAP. Uh, or, or if you're using uh, the, the, the food subsidy program, for every $5 you spend on that program, they'll give you a $2 coupon so you can buy additional food. Mm-hmm. We also give those, those uh, health bugs out to our community partners so that they can use it in their own health education programs like heart disease awareness, uh, physical fitness awareness. Uh, and they take that coupon and they shop. And they shop at a farmer's market where they may not uh, have uh, known to shop there before. So, again, uh, we... We want to look at the underlying causes of, uh, of uh, many of these chronic uh, diseases. And many of these underlying causes go back to structural and institutional issues, uh, including racism, that has played a huge role in how health disparities uh, impact people in the borough of the Bronx. Uh, it's not racism exclusively, uh, but poverty uh, is generally plays a role on um, the way that, um, that, uh, that we have developed structural poverty in, in pockets of neighborhoods. Uh, definitely plays a role. And so we have to look at that holistically. And that's why we have these various groups within um, not only the Not 62 campaign, but in uh, in working with our other partners that address all of these structural issues. And w- within, uh, within your office, um, in light of uh, recent events, how have you guys, how do you guys seek to combine uh, anti-racism work into your um into Not 62 and other community health initiatives? So anti-racism work is embedded, has been embedded in the work of, uh, of uh, the Bronx Neighborhood Health uh, uh, since day one, back in 2002. But it, uh, when we uh, rebranded the first time, there was an additional emphasis on, on health inequities, on how structural racism uh, and uh, institutional uh, uh, issues in, uh, impact both racism and poverty and how uh, those things lead to public health challenges that we have today. So it has always been a part of our mantra that uh, to not be colorblind to uh, how, how institutions and structures impact uh, people in the Bronx. Uh, and it's important to, to highlight that it's a reality that as a result of bad decisions, um, uh, whether intentional or not, uh, have, have created the health crisis that we have now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then in terms of com- coming back for a second to um, how you guys are working in the pandemic, I know a major effort on the part of um, the Department of Health is to uh, ensure that the Bronx has ample test and trace and uh, take care resources. Um, do you mind explaining a bit how your office is participating in that and where the Bronx stands currently as it relates to test and trace and also what the take care program is? Sure. So I, I have to be honest in saying that I've been uh, redeployed since uh, mid-July to deal with uh, with the COVID-19 uh, issues in a different capacity. Okay. Uh, so I, I can't speak to all the test and trace efforts uh, that are happening in the borough currently. That being said, uh, we know that um, we have... Uh, worked with H&H and, uh, and, and other partners to set up uh, mobile testing sites throughout the borough, uh, that we have uh, set up pop-up sites where, uh, where uh, DOH and H&H have been there for a week or so 
to try to get as many people tested um, and that we have worked with community partners on doing things like uh, promotion of uh, uh, PPEs, um, helping people who may have lost their employment uh, get food, get services, uh, get referrals, um, and then to, to uh, sort of dispel myths about uh, what test and trace is, what the take care program is, um, you know, uh, what happens if someone is, is declared a public charge and, and how that, um, you know, how uh, test and trace is not, is not there to sort of out people because of their, uh, of their uh, immigration status, um, that this is a public health emergency and we treat everyone the same way with regards to the public health emergency. We want to make sure that, that people are not spreading uh, COVID-19. Did you guys see a lot of people concerned about getting tested for COVID because of issues related to immigration status? Uh, again, uh, not, not being in the Bronx since July. Uh, okay. I can't say that. Okay. Um, but I, I have certainly heard that from various groups. Okay. Um, okay, great. So let's uh, pivot a little bit to um, kind of on a larger scale. How do you think that uh, laws and regulations, and this could be municipal, state, or federal, have affected, have affected the health of Bronx community members over, since your time working um, with the Department of Health? Uh, so I'm sorry, can you repeat that again? So in, your, in the course of your work with the Department of Health, how do you feel that um, municipal, state, or federal laws have affected the health of Bronx community members? I mean, uh, that is, uh, I have to admit, that's a little bit of a hard question only because, um, you know, uh, it really takes investment in the borough of the Bronx to, uh, to change those health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether that is uh, dealing with the unemployment rate, whether that is dealing with the housing issues, right? So um, anytime, um, let's say the uh, the federal government sneezes, uh, it's it's the Bronx that that, that uh, gets uh, sick the, the worst, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we do work well with the, with New York State with regards to um, uh, their uh, their public health planning for for the uh, uh, they come up with a plan every uh, five years or so. Uh, and we're trying to do more to work with what we have, right? Uh, thankfully, um, most people in the Bronx are very um, resourceful. They know where to get resources from either the hospitals or their clinics or, or from local community partners. Uh, and we continue to do with what we, what we have to, uh, to take care of ourselves. I'm not sure if that answered your question fully, but... No, I think that's a good answer. I'd say one more, one more thing I, I guess add to that is like, just generally, how do you see politics shaping the Bronx? And this could be in a, not necessarily from like a laws and regulations, but just politics generally, how do you see them shaping, shaping the so Bronx I, in, your, in, you, in your work? So I'm going to put on my, uh, my DOH hat and, and stick out of politics, right? I'm not going to talk about uh, how, how politics or politicians are impacting health, we do. Uh, what I will say is that um, we do work with our all of our elected officials as much as possible, mm-hmm. uh, and do get their support, especially on the local level with the city council, um, to to raise awareness of of uh, uh, of uh, how how important health is. Uh, we are grateful, uh, for instance, and we have worked with extensively and publicly um, Senator Gustavo Rivera, 
who is the chair of the Senate Health Committee, mm-hmm. um, to to elevate issues. Uh, and the same thing with the borough president's office. I mean, it was the borough president's office who actually came up with the name hashtag not 62 because we were able to convey uh, how important the rankings were and how important public health was. And so um, we we work with uh, with all of our elected officials in a nonpartisan manner, and, and uh, but we don't try to get involved in, in the actual politics of it. Okay, so maybe a fair question is if... For, from your office or even from like the perspective of a Bronx resident, if you want to elevate an issue and get it recognized um, by elected officials at the municipal and state level, from your experiences, what do you see as effective to, to doing that? So uh, we have, for, I now take the Jerome Avenue Public Health Task Force as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from the beginning, uh, we have worked with, uh, with uh, city council members Gibson and Cabrera on explaining why uh, public health matters when there was an opportunity for the rezoning to include a public health uh, aspect on it um, they reached out to us to consult us about uh, how could we uh, uh, include public health in the rezoning um, as a result of that uh, we the department of health uh, both uh, in the bronx and and in uh, citywide committed resources to help facilitate a jerome avenue public health task force to design a neighborhood health, uh, a set of neighborhood health plan recommendations, uh, which are soon to be endorsed, um, that will then tell future elected officials or give the community the opportunity to tell future elected officials, this is our plan on how we need to address health challenges. Do you sign on to the plan as opposed to having elected officials talk about something peripherally or tangentially about public health? Mm-hmm. Community has a plan. The community has thought this out for over a year. This is not something that, that, um, that you know, somebody just made up. Uh, and we talk, we're talking about 40 institutions in the borough of the Bronx, including the local community districts, uh, who, who are members of this, who are signatories of this. And so, uh, you know, what we want to do is change the dynamic. We want to inform our elected officials what are the priorities, get them to commit to uh, taking action on these priorities, uh, and then uh, work with community collaboratively on on addressing them, as opposed to, let's say, uh, somebody making a promise about uh, they, they want to change health outcomes, but are not very specific. Mm-hmm. And in the Jerome Avenue case, what were the, the Jerome Avenue Health Task Force, how did that come about and what were the motivations for that? So the motivation for that was the Jerome Avenue Rezoning Initiative. Uh-huh. Uh, the, uh, the community was adamantly opposed to that rezoning initiative. Uh, the council members in that area um, spoke with the mayor about how they wanted some, uh, a number of items uh, identified as points of agreement for, uh, for in return for supporting that rezoning. One of those points of agreement were, was the Jerome Avenue Public Health Task Force that would provide a set of recommendations to inform um, uh, uh, redevelopment in that area. Okay. And what are there particular issues that are best addressed by city agencies or as compared to issues that can't be, that can only be addressed by like state agencies that are relative to health in the Bronx? I mean, um, there, there are some things that, um, that might, uh, that might be specific to the state, but mostly it's New York city that, that informs uh, the public health issues that are impacting communities. It's New York City that invests um, 
uh, heavily into uh, addressing health inequities. So um, again, we have partners throughout the state. We have partners uh, in uh, the National Institute for Health who have uh, participated uh, in some of our initiatives in the past. So, um, you know, we, we, we want to work with people because the challenges are, are really big and, uh, and there's nobody who's going to do this alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then coming back a bit to more to community health and your work, what do you see as like um, major assets in the borough that make it like whether they're cultural strengths or um, assets related to health that you think um, you really try to build on in your work? So uh, we actually did some asset mapping uh, in the beginning of the campaign. Uh, We talked about uh, physical and built environment uh, issues. But uh, the most valuable asset continues to be um, the 1.5 million Bronxites who live here. Uh, people are our biggest asset. Uh, people are, are actually going to make changes, right? A bike lane doesn't make change by itself. Um, uh, people make a, a decision and a concerted effort to, to take advantage of our infrastructure or demand infrastructure. So um, our people have always been our number one resource. Um, there's, no, there's no city without people. Right, so we have to focus on how do we address um, some of the challenges uh, when it comes to interacting with community members. Mm-hmm. There's way too many people who are isolated because of poverty, because of uh, racism, because of uh, uh, economic situations uh, or housing situations. Uh, and we have to um, build a bridge. We have to help community members who are within a specific community bond together, uh, make sure that they are able to help each other out bridge those communities with other communities who are doing well or doing better in one aspect, uh, and then link them to uh, government services, link them to partners who are, are willing to invest in them, such as uh, the Department of Health, but there are other agencies who do a lot. Um, but we really need to do more to sort of get out of the silos and, and, and work closer with people. And so what right now, like your major avenues to identify communities that are struggling or that are succeeding are through community organizations. How do you actually know what these 1.5 million people are, are feeling or, or what their health is like? So the department of health has, has created something over the last few years called the district health profiles. They give us a snapshot of uh, what each community district is, is uh, are the major health issues or major concerns they compare them to all 59 community districts in the borough, uh, in, in the city. Mm-hmm. So you'll see who is the lowest ranking in, in a particular health issue, the highest ranking, the New York City average, the borough averages. Uh, and that gives us a barometer to sort of measure uh, future success and, and, and also to point us in the direction as to uh, what do we need to work on, right? Uh, for instance, education continues to be something that it troubles a lot of uh, of, of members of our community. Uh, too many kids, for one reason or another, um, are, uh, are not completing school on time. Um, we can only address the health issues like asthma mm-hmm. uh, and, and, some of the, uh, and work with communities on developing some of the structural issues. Um, but let's try to eliminate all the, th- all the impediments to progress uh, and work together on that so that the individual can can succeed, right? That individual child in, in a poor neighborhood uh, can grow to, uh, to give back. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would definitely refer you to the district health profiles. Um, mm-hmm. They're available on, our, on the 
the Department of Health website. There's another data set that uh, we use uh, in addition to the county health rankings, which are uh, provide a lot of great information. Uh, there mm-hmm. is the county health rankings report um, uh, put together by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. We also use something um, uh, designed by Measure of America called Data2, the number two, go.nyc. Uh, and that has helped us understand a lot of the social determinants of health, um, the, a lot of the issues that are impacting communities, very similar to our own district health profiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a way that uh, we can um, easily share, uh, share with people what uh, what their community looks like and, and what's going on in their community and then work with us. I had a, a, a woman recently reach out to me by email that, um, you know, she's heard about the Not 62 campaign for four years, um, but now she, you know, it, she's, she's tired of seeing us be uh, ranked last in New York State among uh, the state's uh, 62 counties. She wants to get involved. And so let's, let's create an opportunity for, for people to be that, that beacon in their community. And uh, I hope she reach out, reaches out to us. So. Cool. Mm. And then, so you guys work with tons of different, organ- partner with different community organizations in the Bronx. Are there one or two particular organizations that you think like people should know more about their work or um, that you'd like to highlight in their work recently that you've, you've found particularly impactful? Uh, so I'm going to say that all of our FQHCs, or uh, federally qualified health centers, mm-hmm. um, have tons of great programming, have been great partners with us, um, uh, with the Department of Health, um, and they're a resource, all right? So uh, just to name a few of them, we have uh, Urban Health Plan, Union Community Health Center, Morris Heights Health Center, uh, who have, uh, in addition to our hospital partners, like uh, Montefiore Hospital, St. Barnabas Hospital, Bronx, uh, Bronx Care, uh, who, who we work with and, and, and work with their patients in addition uh, to, to, uh, to do programming, to, uh, to uh, bring awareness of these challenges, um, to share resources that would typically not be, um, be known through, uh, through other city agencies so that we can achieve change. Right. And then there are some of our community partners and community coalitions like the Institute for Family Health. Uh, they have a program called Bronx Health Reach, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, which is, uh, serves the entire borough. They do a lot of great work around uh, 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 highlighting how uh, racism impacts health outcomes. And so uh, they work with all sorts of uh, organizations, faith-based groups on changing the dynamic or helping people understand what the dynamic is and then let's work to improving um, those issues that impact them. Great. But, you know, uh, one of the things that we have also tried to do over the last five years is uh, try to put a health lens on just about everything, right? Um, But, you know, we don't walk around with just a monocle, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We we try to uh, pair pair it up with other things. So, for instance, the health and economic equity um, uh, project that I mentioned earlier, it's about how does... uh, a person's personal economics and their financial literacy impacts their health outcomes. And that doesn't operate in the silo either because we know that um, people who uh, have just a high school diploma are uh, on average make twice as less as somebody who has a bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. Um, because with a bachelor's degree, it opens up your opportunities to 
other work that pay, that may pay more. So um, if we can at least get you to complete your high school diploma or get you into a trade school or then get you into college, then we impact your long-term economics and therefore we impact um, your long-term health outcomes. There's another great organization. Sorry, just for a second, you've, you've talked about education a lot. How do you guys work? Do you guys work directly with the Department of Education or do you work with particular schools to try Actually, and- the, uh, we had a program just before COVID-19 um, mm-hmm. that worked with uh, a healthy eating in schools and designing wellness councils in schools mm-hmm. um, where uh, we were able to promote uh, better diets, um, promote more physical activity. Um, there were, I, I don't remember the number of schools in the borough of the Bronx, but, uh, but there were a significant number of schools that were part of this uh, wellness challenge. Um, and, uh, Yes, it's important to, 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 to work with schools. Separately on another project, um, we had something called the Healthy Beverage Zone where we worked with a District 75 school, PS811. Uh, and for those of you who are not aware of District 75, a District 75 school is a school that ha- is primarily uh, consisting of special needs children, children with autism, children with other mental or physical disabilities uh, uh, or handicaps. and. Uh, we work with them to improve uh, access to water and to access to, uh, and supporting them in their community garden and their farmer's market. Uh, and these kids were really excited about, you know, be, having some, um, uh, uh, some say on what happens to their health mm-hmm. and the same uh, uh, being, being feel, feeling like they are able to contribute back to the community. So PSA 11 has been a great partner with us in, for instance, in, in, that program and, and, and in other programs. Amazing. Okay, and then as we, uh, I, I, I can't uh, I, I can't leave out CS fifty five. Okay. Um, CS fifty five has been a great partner, not just with uh, the Department of Health, but with um, with you said uh, CS. What was the number? Community School fifty five. Yes. Fifty five. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, they've been a great partner with the Department of Health, with the Borough President's Office. They have an indoor forum. Uh, wow. They do, uh, the principal, Louis uh, Torres, he, uh, he does a lot. This, where is CS55? Uh, now you're going to make me try to remember this. This I think it's on St. Paul's Avenue and Washington Avenue. Okay. In Community okay. District 3. Oh, wow. I could be wrong. <laughs> okay. We can, we can, we can, we can back check it later, but I, I bet you're, I bet you're right. Yeah. So, but they, they're a great example of a school that has taken health, the health of its students very seriously and they have incorporated all sorts of, uh, of uh, initiatives to make their school uh, healthier. And they, they, they are actually a model school for what, for what uh, you know, if you want to talk about food education and, and, and public health and student health, they, they are a model to look at. Okay, that's great to know. Okay, and then as we kind of come to a close, um, a few, so I guess very germane to myself would be, you've worked in the borough for a really long time. You've worked in health for a long time. What are suggestions you would make to medical providers or health workers in training to get involved in policy and health efforts in the borough? So uh, I'll uh, repeat something that one of our, our, our former uh, assistant commissioner mentioned and um, uh, Dr. Jane Bedell. Uh, she's always uh, tried to in- impart onto medical students and onto the medical, the hospital community specifically, that population health is, goes beyond your patients, right? 
population health doesn't mean just the people that, that, that come into, into your doors. It means their family members, their neighbors, um, the people that, um, that uh, they have to interact with. And if we want to uh, uh, tackle population health, we have to get rid of the old model of what, um, uh, of what is perceived as population uh, health by, by uh, hospitals. Mm -hmm. um, there are, there's been a lot of progress in that, uh, working mm -hmm. with the medical community. But I think it's important for medical students to, to, to understand, um, because I'm not sure if that message is getting to them uh, in that sense, mm -hmm. uh, that population health includes a, 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 wide, a wider uh, um, number of people or a wider net that captures more people. I, I agree with that. Um, and then let's see. Uh, for people and listeners that want to stay more abreast with your office's work, um, what are ways to do that? Like, is it on social media? Is it on your website? Is it, what's the best way to know what so, you guys are doing? So uh, I would say email is, is currently the best way. Okay. Um, you know, we have uh, limited access. We don't have any, uh, independent access on social media outside of the Department of Health uh, page because it is, it, we're still a city agency. Mm -hmm. um, we do interact with folks uh, from time to time uh, on Zoom or WebEx, uh, and we are happy to present uh, uh, to present on a number of topics. Um, one of them, for instance, is a new initiative uh, from the Office of Mental Health on community conversations about uh, COVID nineteen and 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 the uh, mental health impacts. Mm -hmm. um, and so we try to facilitate those conversations. Um, it's actually called uh, Community Conversations: Mental Health Equity and Resilience. Um, we, we try to get people to sign up uh, uh, in the borough of the Bronx so that um, they have uh, uh, as much access to uh, the Department of Health information as anybody else throughout the city. Okay. And now you've, you've said you've worked for the Department of Health in the Bronx since for, for how long now? Uh, so funny thing, I, I started working with the Department of Health back in 1995 Okay. Um, I was in the Bronx office from 2002 to 2006. Um, uh, well, actually, to, uh, yes, 2006. I went to another agency within the Department of Health. I left um, the Department of Health in 2008 to become a district manager for a community board mm -hmm. uh, for about five years. Then I was in the nonprofit world. But then I came back to um, the Bronx office in 2015. So it was uh, almost 10 years to the date that I had left and came back. But so you spent most of your career working in the borough, whether it's in Department of Health, whether it's in public, uh, sorry, working for the government or working outside the government, that's correct? Yes. So is why, like, how did that kind of, how did you end up devoting your career to the borough um, as it relates to you personally and, and why you've kind of continued to work here? I mean, uh, even though I was born and raised in Washington Heights, I, I went to high school here in the Bronx. I have family in the Bronx. Um, you know, uh, my, my uncle had a business on, uh, on Burnside and Jerome Avenue. Uh, and so the borough of the Bronx has always been a part of my life. Um, you know, uh, uh, I grew up in a particularly tough period uh, in the city, right? The 80s, 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, but there are so many great memories that I have. Um, with uh, with my friends and and my family, um, I don't like the fact that um, you know the that the borough has continues to have this negative image, even when uh, when speaking to people in other states or in other parts of uh, the country. Um, 
they have this perception. And I tell them, well, no, the Bronx is, the Bronx is, is, uh, is, is, has a bright future, even though we, uh, you know, we, we are still dealing with many challenges uh, and challenges that COVID-19 uh, exposed. Um, but there are, there's so much great opportunity for people. There's so many people who have risen out of, out of, um, you know, of, of, you know, the challenges that they faced here in the Bronx that would probably crumble all the people in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I'm proud to be able to stand with folks, even if I'm standing in the background to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you for that. <laughs> and then, um, my last question would be for, uh, on a lighter note, what are a few areas that like, what are your favorite, a few of your favorite places in the Bronx? It could be a restaurant. It could be a, a park. It could be anything. Yeah. So my default, special? my default answer, and only because I live five blocks away from it is, uh, is the botanical gardens. Okay. Um, I go there for the exhibits, but it's a great walk or run. If you want to uh, get some exercise some fresh air, uh, stay away from the noise of uh, traffic and so forth. Um, I, uh, I used to bike a lot more. Uh, I live in the West Bronx over by Washington uh, Parkway. I would bike from there to Orchard Beach mm-hmm. uh, to watch the sunrise, uh, which is, uh, you know, if you haven't done it, it definitely uh, something. Uh, it's a great, it's a great ride uh, to go from Van Cortland through Washington, through Bronx Park, through mm-hmm. Pelham Parkway, back to Orchard Beach. Yep. It's something, it's something called, uh, it, it, when I was a, uh, uh, with the community board, I found out that it was called the Emerald Necklace of the Bronx. The Emerald um, Necklace of the Bronx. Yes. I've that, written that, it many times, but I didn't know. Wow. Okay. The Emerald Necklace from, because yeah. for, it's a part, it's because the, the, it's continuous. cuts through East West, right? It yeah. cuts through the Bronx. And like, yeah. Uh, so Van Corlin Park. Yeah. Yeah. Van Corlin Park uh, up to Marshall Parkway, uh, right through Bronx Park. Mm-hmm. And then again, through all the way through Pelham Parkway until it gets to Pelham Bay, Pelham Bay Park. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, that's the a Emerald great necklace. bike ride. Yeah, the Emerald Necklace of the Bronx. It's a great <laughs> bike ride if you ever get to do it. Um, you know, and it's one of those rare gems that you know if you look if you look past our problems and you looked at what what exists, uh, you would see that we do have a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of opportunities. Um, and you know the opportunity just to go out and take a walk uh, uh, in, in some place like uh, you know this part of the Bronx um, matters. Now I know that does, that doesn't exist everywhere in the borough. Uh, so let's let's find ways that we could partner with folks uh, to help make their communities a, a place where they want to walk and where they want to ride and where they want to be safe with their family. All right, that just about does it. Thank you to Fernando Torado and his team for coming on. And I look forward to future episodes and uh, hope people continue to listen. Thank you.